you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. for different reasons today, Um, and it's Trinity Sunday. (laughs) To be honest, most churches that have associate pastors, this becomes the Sunday that the associate pastor gets to preach. Um, It's a Sunday that we don't know what to do with. Usually there's two directions you can go. You can do a lecture on the Trinity and try to trace the uh, socio-historical understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity uh, as revealed to the church throughout time. Kathy Edwards is making a very disgusted face at the idea of a lecture like that. Shannon Stamper back there was like, oh, I'm not sure if I want to be here for the lecture. Uh, and then you still uh, usually commit heresy. Darren's already taken care of that for us today. Darren uh, committed the heresy of partialism. Mm. We, we could pull up the video of St. Patrick's heresies, uh, except for we can't do that because our live stream would get shut down. Uh, it's, it's this incredible video on YouTube. Google it on your phones, but save it till later. St. Patrick's Bad Analogies. Um, and so we, we, can, we can do it, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you good stuff in a minute. But it was a heresy. It's partialism. Um, what I want to do is give you another example uh, that surely would work, right? Janelle, can you play me a D major chord? All right. What three notes are in a D major chord? D, F sharp, and A, right? Whew. I didn't ask for something like an A minor 7 because then I would have no clue. Uh, when I learned jazz guitar, there was an A minor 7 flat 5. Could not tell you what the notes are on that at all. Uh, piano chord very often is used as the analogy to explain the Trinity as you're trying to turn your lecture into something more fun. But then you get into a problem because uh, A, D, the first note of this chord, is not the fullness of the chord, right? It is but one part of the chord. So it's also... Partialism. It's, a, it's making uh, the whole three things being part of the whole. Um, and Patrick does this much better than me in the cartoon version. Uh, another favorite that people will use to make their lecture into something fun is to talk about how I am a father and a husband and a pastor. This is the her- heresy of modalism, that I appear in three different modes depending on who I'm relating to. Mm-hmm. And so then people are like, ah, let's do, let's do uh, the sun, because the sun is, there's the sun, and then there's heat, and there's light, right? This is a great explanation of the Trinity. This is Arianism, because the light and the heat are not the sun themselves. They are byproducts of the sun. Anybody have an analogy that works? I'll pay you money if you can come up with an analogy to explain the Trinity without committing the heresies of partialism, modalism, or Arianism. 
The other option is to pretend that today is not Trinity Sunday and just talk about something totally different. This is what the associate pastors almost always do on Trinity Sunday when they preach, because it's a fool's errand to get up here and try to explain the Trinity in simple, understandable ways. Darren did a great job. My son will now have more conceptualization of the Trinity than he has ever had. It's slightly heretical, but it's, it's good enough, right? That's so why we use analogies. They're not the thing, they're describing the thing. But it's Trinity Sunday, and I don't want to lecture, and I don't want to ignore it. I really want to offer more of a testimony of where uh, the Trinity has been uh, for me lately. Yeah, I paid a lot of money to Asbury Seminary to learn about the Trinity. Multiple classes where we would go and study the history of doctrine and the, the impact of it on the church. And, and, and it's good money. You know, it's, it's not cheap. But bought lots of expensive books, heard lots of good lectures. And I'll tell you, being part of the Andover community of First United Methodist Church over the last year has done more for my understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity than anything I ever did at Asbury. Over the last year, I have contemplated uh, what the doctrine of the Trinity does for me and for the church more than I ever have. Um, Our church has done two things that I think have forced me to do something I've never done before. We as a church decided we were going to take not the easy path in the way forward for us as part of the United Methodist Church. Instead of us just uh, saying we're going to do this or do this and writing a one-paragraph statement and your pastor's forcing it through, uh, we've spent 30-some weeks studying and teaching and writing and working together. And if we're going to do this and find a way forward, we knew that the answer was theology, and, but then we also knew we had to be able to teach that theology, <laughs> and, and then we knew that the theology had to matter, and that it had to actually um, have some bones to it. And so uh, if we were going to talk about uh, us as humans and us as sexual beings and us as a denomination, we have to talk about who we are in God. First of all, who is God? Well, God is uh, these things, right? We don't have words. It's not parts. It's not modes. It's not notes. But God is these, these three natures or these three persons. Uh, three persons. I was going to come in another heresy. Three persons in one nature, God has this relationship within God's self uh, before the first thing is created. Before God uh, begins uh, this creative process, there already exists within God's self a relationship. And a relationship that we will never fully understand, but that somehow is supposed to point us to what it means for us to be people and to be in relationship. Do I have you so far? Dick, do I have you? I'm going to use you today as my, am I, am I making sense? So keep with me. For a second, you had me looking like I'd already lost you, and um, I've lost myself a couple times this week, so. um. They give us this Genesis text uh, on Trinity Sunday, which is long. Darren said it was longer than his whole sermon last week to read Genesis 1 to us. Kit is nodding her head, so I'm already a little worried. Uh, They give us this text because it's the first way the ancients reveal their understanding about God and humanity. They use the language of Elohim. Most, most of the ancients would have talked about God as El, the singular deity. And our scriptures, though, use the plural Elohim to talk about this God who is revealed to the ancients. You know, we, we are getting the people reflecting on who they understand God from from creation. This is 
uh, in theory, before the revealing of the name Yahweh. And, and we have this distinct revelation uh, to people of who God is and how God creates and how God relates. And, and uh, it is murky and ambiguous. God said, let us create them in our image. What does that even mean? And, and people will go to great lengths to try to say, well, like, well, God speaks, and so that's the word. Remember, Jesus is the word, so this is Jesus speaking, and the Spirit hovered over the deep, so this is the Holy Spirit. Let's just instead say that, that the ancients recognized there was a, a, something already relational within God's self before God began creating. Then God created humanity in our image, this is God speaking, Let's, let us create humans in our image. This becomes the undergirding thing for all the theological work our church has done over uh, the last 30 some weeks, is reflecting on what it means uh, to have this God who exists in relationship and then who creates us to be in relationship. We can trace this throughout the Old Testament. When we get to the Ten Commandments, you hear, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Uh, you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall make no idols. Well, the other, the other nations had to make idols because they had nothing to represent their God. The, the, the problem with building idols for Israel is they represented God. When, when uh, Miriam walked out the door in the morning, she is an icon for God. When Sarah is uh, tending to the kids over here, she is an icon for God. When Abraham is screwing things up over here, he is an icon for God. There is no need to build a silver or gold or brass thing. Every one of them, and uh, despite uh, their hearts sometimes, those Canaanites over there and those Philistines over there and those Ammonites over there, they also are icons of God. So much of the Old Testament story is, is humanity trying to find its way back to God and God chasing after them and revealing God's self-born. And so God does reveal God's self as Yahweh in the Old Testament. And, and God reveals himself in different ways and, and we journey through this. And then we get to the New Testament, right? I, I'm going somewhere. Dick, am I, still, am I still good? Okay, Jan's gotten serious now. <sighs> Can y'all all smile a little bit more? We get to the New Testament. Jesus comes on the scene and we get a new loving God, right? We get, we get a new one. We finally get one who's kind and isn't violent and who loves people and makes things come up roses, right? Uh, it, it's beautiful. Wrong! We get a new worldview. Uh, we get uh, an, uh, the incarnation of Jesus in the midst of a Grecian and Roman culture. Uh, we, we've gone from a Hebrew, a Hebraic Semitic culture to one steeped in Plato and Aristotle and Socrates and, and who wrestles with uh, things like the divine Lagos. And so they wrestle with how do we understand God in light of this Jesus story and in light of this Pentecost event. And, and they wrestle for centuries. We get this picture from Jesus. Go and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? That's the closest we're going to get to the doctrine of the Trinity in the Gospels. Then we're going to get to Paul's letters, and he's going to talk about God, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit, as if these are uh, kind of the set ways of understanding. And so for the next 500 years, this is the other part of what I've loved about Andover. We're studying church history right now. There's a group who gets together on Friday mornings and studies the nerdiest Christian stuff you've ever seen. It, I mean, we're like making outlines and flowcharts and doing definitions. We have to ask the, the AI technology chat GPT to define words for us every week. We're like, give us 
all the words that ninth graders wouldn't understand because we don't understand them. And we're studying right now the first about 700 years of church history and, and how they uh, conceptualized God. Jake, can we get the first image? It takes us 700 years to get to this. Can you see this? Okay, it's in Latin. Isn't that cool? We're in Latin by the time we get a, a thing that we can say about the Trinity that is not heretical. They wrestle and they wrestle and we get through uh, four major church councils before we get our first clarity. We get uh, three distinct creeds. We get that, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed. Uh, and we finally get this conceptualization of God as three persons and one substance. They have to make up new Greek words to describe this because the words they have do not work. Uh, Marilyn and I are planning on getting a tattoo of this if anybody wants to join us. I draw this fairly regularly. Uh, this tells us that the Father, Pater, up in the top left, is not the Son over in the top right, uh, who is not the Spirit, the Holy Spirit down on the bottom. Uh, but the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. But uh, none of them are each other. There you go. Simple as can be, right? This is the doctrine of the Trinity as the church has understood it. This is the faith Catholic through which you, must, uh, which you, must, which you can understand God. The Athanasian Creed, I was going to read it today, but it makes that Genesis 1 reading look very short. But it talks about the mysteries of God's revelation of God's self as this three people in one nature. And the church spent 700 years wrestling with it because it matters. The doctrine of the Trinity is not uh, just a construct for us to discuss. It is, it is us trying to understand the very nature of God and then to understand the very nature of ourselves. If God is a truly loving and benevolent father who loves his, uh, his uh, only begotten son the way that he is revealed to do so, what does that tell us about love and care? If the son is obedient in love to the father, what does that tell us about obedience? And if the Holy Spirit uh, kind of goes wherever uh, uh, the Spirit is needed, what does that tell us about our life and mission with the power of the Holy Spirit? Uh, doctrine matters um, because God matters and we matter. This matters because you matter. Uh, this matters because it should shape how we live and practice uh, lesser matters of doctrine. It should shape this dogma, this understanding of the Trinity, should shape everything about everything. It should shape our theology of the Eucharist. It should shape our theology of, um, of God's providence. It should shape our theology of human sexuality. This matters because it is the uh, very ground of our being and the very uh, image in whom we are created. This matters even though it is super difficult to understand. Darren could not have done a better job uh, explaining to my son uh, the doctrine of the Trinity. Dr. Claire Peterson from Asbury, uh, Asbury University said, you always need a little bit of heresy on Sunday morning. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that, but it, it, it's, uh, it's good to wrestle with it even if we can't explain it. I, I'm seeing enough faces that are at flat affect right now that I don't think you're going to go home and, and have the, the chart memorized, right? You're not going to be able to recreate it, do like a, the, remember when you were kids and you did tattoos with a pen on your arm? Y'all aren't going home and tattooing this right now, right? This is not uh, deeply embedded, but I hope what's embedded is that the doctrine of the Trinity matters because it reveals to us who we are. It reveals to us how we should be. And I'm proud to be a part of a church who has wrestled deeply with who God is and who we are to be.
love this church. I love you. Um, it feels weird to stand up here. Uh, every time Tom Eblen comes to the building, he goes, Hey, preacher! <laughs> and I love that, because Tom has preached about a million sermons, and they're incredible, and he has this gift of, of proclamation. I for sure always resonate with, Hey, pastor. Because um, at its core, I don't think preaching is the thing that I am uniquely gifted for. I enjoy it. I like it. It's fun. Uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, but pastoring, being here, uh, is where my heart is. And um, to have spent this last year together uh, seeking after God's face, after all we went through with COVID, has been hard, but it has been beautiful. We've had a, about 100 people get involved with uh, the process of uh, wrestling theologically with who we are, and it has been uh, one of the most formative things in my life uh, to sit together and wrestle with who we are and how we're going to be. Is it uh, all easy breezy from here? No, it's never been easy breezy for the church. We're studying church history. They used to get killed a whole lot, and they still do in other places. Uh, it's not easy because uh, everybody always has a little bit of dis disagreement, right? Uh, and and the, more we, the more we split, the easier it is to split. I shouldn't say it, should I, Marilyn? I should say it. If I get in trouble with Todd, it's because Marilyn said I could say it. I don't know what the United Methodist Church has in her future, but because I know God, I know that the church has great hope. It will never be defeated. Um, and friends, I have great hope for the people of Andover and First United Methodist Church. I don't know what, uh, I don't know what United Methodism holds, but I know what God has in store for us. I love you so deeply. And I know this is a weird rambling testimony slash lecture. I know I got into lectures, lecture mode. Richard holds me accountable for uh, both proclamation and uh, um, good uh, fault development. We've wrestled with what is it to have faith-seeking understanding. I love you all. When I look at you, I see the face of God in the complexities of your life and the complexities of all you have going on, I see the complexities of God. Jake, will you put the second graphic up? He thought I had forgotten about this one. Um, I'm going to skip the part because I'm also looking at the time and realizing I'm supposed to zip out of here any minute now. Um, the circle is the answer to the question I always ask when we draw this on the board. I draw the Greco-Roman understanding of the Trinity and then I say, so, so where is Yahweh in this? And, and usually I'm like, is, is it the Father or is it God? Because that's like a, a trick question teachers like to do, right? Then I actually give you the right answer. Um, the circle is that Yahweh is all of this. Yahweh is, uh, is God, and God is Yahweh, and the Father is Yahweh, and the Son is Yahweh, and the Holy Spirit is Yahweh. Because God, in all of God's complexity... the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, when you turn to the hard parts of Scripture and you get to Judges and you're like, whew, it's hard to like God right here. It's this. 
when you turn to the Psalms and you hear, uh, where are you? Why have you failed us and why have you left us? It is still this God. Most of those Psalms turn at the end, by the way. Uh, it's okay to be angry with God because we know that ultimately God, um, God comes through. Maybe not in ways we anticipate, maybe not in ways we know, but this God is there. It's this God who shows up in the book of Ecclesiastes where we're like, I don't know. Uh, some things make sense, most of it doesn't, so the only thing we can do is follow God. This is the God who shows up in the midst of Job, in the midst of Lamentations. This is the God who shows up in flesh in Jesus and who shows up at Pentecost in the Spirit, who has been showing up in the life of the church throughout her history and will show up in final victory when heaven and earth meet and we dwell with the church when she is made perfect. I don't know if this made any sense at all today, but my heart is good. I hope yours is. <laughs> Because um, worship's not just about me, right? Like, I can't just preach a sermon and be like, I don't care what y'all think. It's good for me. Um, I should have stopped a while back, Marilyn. I should have stopped with I love y'all. So I'm going to stop with I love you, okay? Would you pray with me? God, you have revealed yourself in so many ways, and yet we know that until the fullness of time, uh, it is but a glimmer of the fullness of who you are. You've revealed yourself to us uh, in flesh and in your, in your holy scriptures. You have uh, told us what it means uh, to be your people, and uh, you have left so much uh, for us to still understand. Lord, reveal yourself to us at this table in uh, mighty and powerful ways. Even as we seek to understand what it means, Lord, we pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.